We want to read our scripture lessons this morning. They're listed in the bulletin. Page numbers where you'll find these passages in the Pew Bibles are listed, but you're always welcome to just use your own Bible or just sit back and listen, as the case may be. Our selection from Acts is chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. This is really after a time when John and Peter have been arrested because they healed this man. Well, they didn't heal him. Jesus healed a man who was blamed from birth, over 40 years old. Uh, they said Jesus had done it. They've been arrested. They've been told to go back and or they've been released, but don't teach any more about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's their reaction as they go back to their, to their people. Listen here to God's Word. When they, John and Peter, had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur." And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. Our second passage today is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read all 12 verses of that <clears throat> chapter. This is one of the earlier uh, letters of Paul that he wrote probably uh, among the first one or two. Well, we know it was, wasn't the first one, but because you had First Thessalonians. <laughs> but it was sur- surely soon after that. Uh, and it's interesting, he tells them, he knows what they're going through there in Thessalonica. So listen here to God's Word. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him 
according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Just three verses. Speaks of the unsealing of the fifth seal of that parchment or book that uh, was sealed. It showed the plan and purpose of God, which no one could open. No one was worthy until the lamb, who's a lion, came and opened it up. Here's what happens when he opens the fifth seal. Listen here to God's word. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, how long will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a while, for a while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's Word, which we've read. Gracious God, we come and ask for you to open our hearts and minds to your Word and to your preached Word. Lord, we desire to be fed from you. We desire drink from you, that from the water of life, Uh, our souls need you. Uh, Our minds want to be filled with your truth. Our eyes want to feast on your glory. So come and help us this day. We ask through Christ Jesus, our Savior, the Lord of all. Amen. Revelation chapter 6 is a reality check chapter. It's that for the seven churches to whom this letter, this this whole uh, book of Revelation is sent, uh, and it's the same thing for all Christians and churches down through the ages. Revelation 6 is a reality check chapter. Last week, if you remember, we saw the first four seals undone. We said those were the uh, horsemen of reality, not the horsemen of the apocalypse. This is not showing something that happens at the end of time. This is what happens all during time. There are people who conquer. Uh, There's war. There's famine and pestilence, and there's death. Those are things that are common experiences. We need to know that. We need to be aware of that and deal with that. We preached about that last week. This Sunday, we have just the unsealing of the fifth uh, seal, and we call this the victorious reality. That's today's text. Uh, We'll elaborate what that means in just a minute. Next week, we'll do the rest of chapter 6, and we're calling that sad reality. I'm going to have to take some from my throat because I'm getting all worked up and hot and bothered and I'm going to cough. <coughs> so next week is a sad reality. What's the sad reality? The wrath of the Lamb. Jesus comes. His wrath is poured out. Something that's hard to, it's an incongruous thing. One could say it's an oxymoron, the wrath of the Lamb. And we'll see what that is. Uh, And so these are the unfolding of the first six of the seven seals. The seventh is not unsealed until chapter 8. Chapter 7 of Revelation 
is, uh, um, we call it the promise. It's a sort of an interlude. We'll deal with that at the very last Sunday of this month. Now, I'd like to say that I think there's a problematic verse in the New Testament that helps us understand verses 9 through 11 of Revelation 6. <coughs> the verse is Matthew 11:12. 12. Uh, it's difficult because uh, here's the background for it. We won't put it up yet. John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, Herod has him in prison there because he said hard things against his marriage to his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And uh, uh, so he has him arrested. And while he's in prison, John the Baptist sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask who he really is. Now, the way I've always read that is that John was wondering about this himself. I don't think so anymore. I believe that John was the faithful witness. He knew who he was. He stood in the face of all kinds of opposition. He, he had all these things that he had experienced all through life that w- weren't easy. But his disciples needed a reality check. So he sends them, says, you go and ask Jesus who he is. And Jesus says, well, go back and tell John these things. And so Jesus tells those disciples the things they need to hear. Now, why would they be disillusioned? Why do they need to hear that? Because their teacher, John, is imprisoned. How can this happen if God is God? Would God let such an injustice be done? Maybe it's, he's got it all wrong. He says, no, you go talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, well, here's you know, the, the blind receive sight, the, the lame walk, and uh, the dead are brought to life. He says, all these things are going on. I'm the Christ. Just what John said. I'm the, 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 the one who the, the world's been waiting for, the people of God have been waiting for. Now, so what John wants his disciples to know is the victorious reality. So let's have that first slide up there if we could. Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's an important statement. Uh, John has insight. John knows what's going on. John is being faithful. Jesus says this about John the Baptist. No one has arisen who's greater than he. Uh, Now, let's do the next verse. Here's the problematic verse. From the day, this is still Jesus speaking, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. What in the world does that mean? Do we get into heaven by the swords and the clubs and wars and all that kind of stuff? Jesus says from the days of John the Baptist... Until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. John's stance, his persevering testimony in truth, did violence to Herod's life, his worldview, and John, as a consequence, was killed. And in his being killed, it was confirmed who he was, what he said, what he did. He was confirmed in his testimony, if you would. <clears throat> and in that sense, violence. He stood in the face of all that. He reached where he should be, where he wanted to be. John would not compromise. He called Herod out. 
You cannot have your, your brother's wife. It's wrong. You know, and all the forces of culture and the society were against him. You can't say things like that to the ruler, to the powers that be. But he did. He would not, he would not budge. He was steadfast. And he was killed for his testimony. Now, you may think this is a harsh way to think about this, but consider hate speech today. If I were to go somewhere in a public sphere and read Romans chapter 1, or 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and 11, uh, I would be accused of doing violence to people because of what it says about morality. Right? I mean, people have had that happen to them. I'm not making it up. Uh, and, and bad things have happened to people as a consequence of that. Thrown in jail, lawsuits, persecuted in a variety of physical ways, otherwise, likewise. Just like in other portions of the world, if you go into uh, the Islamic world and you read some things about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is, what it just says scripture, again, it's, they're gonna, you're going to experience violence against you because of that. Uh, so what John was doing, he was standing faithfully and uh, perseveringly in the right and true testimony of, of what God says, and he was killed. He was beheaded because of that. Uh, so that's the background. That's my introduction. And I still have, you know, half an hour to go, so it's all right. You don't think so, Josh? Watch it, watch it. So the victorious reality, part one. This is verse nine. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. The souls of those who were slain. Their bodies were not there, but their souls were. Uh, their bodily deaths did not end their existence. And their killers did not really kill them ultimately or finally. That's all said right here. We see that. We need to know that. And not only that, but they are now in the presence of the sovereign one over the entire universe, of the king of creation. They're, in his, they're, they're right there. They're underneath the altar. You saw the souls of those who were there. We need to know that death is not the end. There's conscious, ongoing existence following death. Souls go on. There's no soul sleep. Uh, there's simply, a, a, now the body dies, and we'll talk about what happens later on to that, but the soul, the spirit, exists. And it's not complete, the person's not complete because the bodies are not there, but that's regardless. Now, what was their reality? What was it that these souls had done? Which is to say, what was their crime their crime for which they were martyred, for which they were killed. Uh, here's what it was. It says, slain because of the word of God. That is, they believed the scriptures. And that was offensive to people. The powers that be. Now, we've mentioned John. We could do the same thing with Stephen and other martyrs. On down through history, they, they stand, they believe the word of God, they affirm that, it 
it, it, it's not, people don't like that. And as a consequence, they do violence to them and martyr them. Uh, the martyrs stood fast on the Bible. Well, what did they stand fast on? I'm going to list a couple of things here. Number one, they stood fast on the account of creation on the cosmos. How did everything come into being? If you don't stand fast on that, you're already going down the road and you, you won't last. If you don't understand creation, that God made all that is, uh, it comes from Him. It didn't just slowly, slowly evolve. God made it. Stand on that. We'll see more about that in just a second. Second thing they stood on was moral matters. Just like God created the cosmos, created all the rules by which the cosmos exists and goes on, God's the one who determined the speed of light. God determined what's right and what's wrong. That is morality. That's not up to us to decide. God has declared this is right, this is wrong. And they stood fast on a third thing. That is, how is it that someone is redeemed? They stood fast that no one can be redeemed because of simply what they do or that they have all their theology correct. Redemption is found only through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We deny any other means of redemption. They stood fast on those three things. Now, I'd like for you to hear what, we, what the people of God have been taught from the beginning. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. God speaking through Moses, you shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. That's what we're all prone to do, correct? Well, I think this sounds right to me. Well, that's good. I'm glad of that. But, but, but what does the Bible say about that? What does God say about that? God has spoken to us. This is, this is just one verse. But it, it, the, the sentiment is found throughout the scriptures. You shall not do at all what we're doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Now, later on at the end of that chapter, it says this. Verse, is verse 32? Is that the next one? Yeah. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. That's pretty sound teaching. Uh, what God has spoken, let's don't take anything away from that. Let's don't add anything on top of that. And the church has had problems with that, with both those things. And you and I have had problems with both those things down through the years. So we have to be continually reformed. And reform some more <coughs> because we get accretions that come in. But let's not take away nor add to God's word. Now consider the apostolic ban back in chapter 4 that we read about. They've been arrested. Or their leaders have been arrested, sent back to the, all you guys shut up or else. So what do they do? They go back and they pray. And did you see how they prayed? If you listen to their prayer, you'll see how they see. That is, you'll see their worldview, all right? Which is instructive for us. How does it begin? Oh Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth to see and all that's in them. So I didn't just make that up that you have to believe in the creator and the cosmos. That's the, that's the basis of the prayer. Lord, you're the one. You made all these things. There's nothing that exists that you've not made. You're the ruler, you're the sovereign over all that. And so we come to you. 
But then if that's true, how do we understand what's happened? I mean, Jesus has died. He's been killed. We've been arrested. We're going to be flogged. How do we understand that? And they read scripture. Now, you all should have recognized the scripture they read and quoted, right? Psalm 2. We just memorized Psalm 2 this past fall. Why are the nations in an uproar? The people's devising a vain thing. Uh, the kings of the earth take their stand, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They quote that back to God and say, This is, this is, this is that. Not only did that happen to Jesus, that happened to him, that happens to us as well. <coughs> the world, the people in it, take their stand against Christ, against God, and his anointed. With violence, sometimes. It says, we know this. And what has happened to Jesus and is happening to us, it's that. The very thing you told us in Psalm 2. Many of those folk who were praying that prayer would end up being martyred before the end of their lives. Peter was. John was not, but so far as we know, but others of those contemporaries who were gathered there would be martyred before the end of their lives. This, I would say, is victorious reality, standing fast on your testimony. Now, I'm using the word testimony because it's here. It says, they were slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Their testimony, they did not give up, they maintained it. So, there's a slide I have here about what testimony means. So, Andy, slide that baby up here. The word testimony in Revelation 6, 9 is the word maturial, maturial uh, in the Greek. Our word martyr is based on the word for testimony. Now, we understand martyr to mean someone who dies for their faith. It comes from the simple word, the Greek word, for testimony, for what you say, what you stand for, where, where you are. So, when it says, because of the Word of God, and because of the testimony, because of the martyria, which they maintained. They would not compromise. The same thing with John the Baptist, right? We saw that. Despite all of what people said, he said, what you're doing is wrong. They likewise maintained that. Okay, thank you very much, Andy. Um, this word, testimony, will continue to figure prominently in the book of Revelation. It's that by which we see, how we understand reality, what, what we really think is at the bottom of things. Who is God? Who is Jesus? And how will we live? Those are just basic questions. Who is God? Who is Jesus? It's always appropriate to ask people, who do you think Jesus is? What did he do? That'll cut to the heart of matters right away. Then how should we live? Based on how we answer those first two questions, how ought we to live? It's that simple. That's our testimony. So that's victorious testimony part one. Here's victorious testimony or victorious reality part two. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The martyrs, their souls... The martyrs are all crying out loudly, it says, to God. 
They're not just sitting around playing harps and eating grapes, but they cry out for vindication. First thing that comes to your mind, wait, 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 is this right? Should we cry out for vindication? Stephen didn't cry out for vindication as he's being stoned. He said, Lord, have mercy on your souls. Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. So how can these martyrs in heaven, how can they they be crying out loudly to God for vindication? So the question is, is this right? Here's a simple truth. Always let Scripture teach you. Don't disagree with it. Okay? That's just a simple truth. Always agree with Scripture. Let it teach you, don't disagree with it. You may not understand it. You wait for things to come along. But don't disagree, don't refute, don't don't cast it away. And the fact of the matter is, yes, those martyrs crying out to God, they want truth, beauty, the goodness of God vindicated. All of us long for justice and fairness. It's part of how we're made. We want that. The youngest kid says, that's not fair. Right? Have you ever said that? You have. We want justice. That's the way we're made. We want fairness and appropriateness. That's what the martyrs are crying out for. Among those martyrs, souls crying out would be those of John the Baptist and Stephen. They're among those martyrs right there in Revelation 6. Speaks about. When we pray, Maranatha, you know, it talks about that in the New Testament. Pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're praying that. Because when Jesus comes, Katie, bar the door. We'll, we'll see in just a little bit the ramifications of the final coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of Idi Amin and Joseph Stalin and go on and name all these people who never got justice on this earth. You know, Idi Amin was toppled. For, for those who don't know, those who are too young, Reagan, do you know who Idi Amin was? She has no idea. See, they're, they're too young. I'm too old is the problem is what it should be. Yeah, right, I'm too old. Okay, I agree with that. Idi Amin was a, a murderer, a butcher, a ruler in Uganda. He killed hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands of people, brutally, horrifically. He had to step down in, in 1979. From 1979 till 2003, he lived a life of luxury and ease in Saudi Arabia. Never had to pay for his crimes and what he had done. He didn't get justice. Joseph Stalin perhaps murdered more people than anyone else in the 20th century. We don't know for sure, but he he was responsible for the deaths of millions and millions and millions of people. And he stayed in power until he died. He never got justice. We cry out. Lord, how can this be? We want justice. Well, that's what the souls of the saints, the martyrs cry out as well. And justice will be done. We read our text from 2 Thessalonians 1. And Paul commends the Thessalonians that in the face of their opposition and persecution, they maintain their testimony. He commends them for that. Uh, in fact, he speak, what, what's the first, in verse 8 there it says, here's part of what's going to happen. 
to their persecution, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is what's going to happen to the people who persecute and afflict you. Christ is going to come. He's going to deal out retribution to those. Now, they may change between now and when Christ comes back, but if they don't change their ways, this is what's going to happen. Uh, uh, when does this happen? On that great day. Verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all you who have believed for our testimony, same word again, for our testimony to you was believed. When Christ comes, this is that Maranatha, when Christ comes, it talks in here, I didn't, I don't think I put that in here anywhere uh, on a slide, with his fiery angels, we're all called to account. It's going to be tough for those who don't know Christ, for those who are in rebellion. We'll see a little bit of that next week. Uh, we'll show verse 9. That, uh, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's a description of hell. This is the retribution that comes back. Paul talks about it explicitly up front to the Thessalonians when he writes to them. They will pay the penalty, those who oppose you, those who are against God, of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Ongoing, eternal, that means it does not stop. Destructive forces in their souls, in their lives. That's a reality we must declare as well. We don't believe everyone goes to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches there is, in fact, an ongoing reality for all, but that reality can be heaven or it can be hell. It's all, it makes all the difference in the world which place you end up. Now, that's victorious reality part two. They really are crying out, and we do cry out for justice as well, for vindication in that sense. Finally, there's victorious reality part three. It's this. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So the martyrs receive assurance of God's sovereignty. They're given white robes. Now, what those are like, we don't know. They have no bodies to cover, but they're, they're white robes. And it means that they're conquerors. We saw last week that the guy who rode on the white horse went out to conquer. So these are all the letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. says, you should be an overcomer to those who overcome will grant this. Here's a picture of an overcomer, a white robe, a conqueror. You've overcome. You've won. So here, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what that white robe represents. That's what it says. Then he says, rest a while longer. He says, be at ease. Don't be upset. Continue to cry out. That's fine. But rest a while longer. Why? Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed would be completed. God has more work to do. Now, do you remember what the apostolic band back in Acts 4 prayed? Put up this next slide there, if you would, Andy, from Acts 4 again. They said, all these things that have happened in Jerusalem to the Lord Jesus, that, and that all these sinners did, they did to do whatever your hand and your purpose 
predestined to occur. They recognize that there's no one, no thing that can happen apart from God's will. He's sovereign over, which does not absolve us of responsibility. It simply means that God is sovereign. And you'll never, you'll never get those things to, to, to uh, fit together rightly because we don't have the minds to understand it. But he, that's what they pray, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. So the victorious reality for us is what? We want to say what they said. So what's the next, next one say? They said, extend your hand. They're going to go out. They're going to preach. They're going to talk. They're going to share. They're going to extend your hand. We're going to do all this, but you extend your hand, God. And you confirm. Or you slay us. Or you do whatever you would, but Lord, extend your hand. And may your will be done because your will is victorious reality. So what do we say to all this? We say that. Where we stand today. Lord, extend your hand. Right? Extend your hand. Do your good work. Help. Help us stand steadfast. Let us maintain our testimony. Lord, give our testimony uh, piercing power in the hearts of unbelievers. Convicting power in the hearts of sinners. Transforming power in our own lives. Extend your hand. Because the victorious reality is that God does extend his hand. So that his purpose and his plan shall be done. Amen.